Well, last week we looked at a, uh, a survey on uh, forgiveness, and I'd like to uh, come back to a couple of things on that this week. Uh, one of the statements it asked you to respond to was this. If you really forgive someone, you would want that person to be released from the consequences of their actions. If you really forgive someone, you would want them to be released from the consequences of their actions. How many of you would basically agree with that statement? And how many disagree with that? Okay. Uh, sometimes I think we are reluctant to, hurt, to forgive people who have hurt us because we think that if we do, it means they'll go scot-free, and if they've genuinely wronged us, somehow that's, that's unfair, it's unjust, and we don't want to let them off the hook. For example, uh, what about the, the wife who divorces her husband because of adultery? She has three small kids, can't make it financially. Uh, he often is late and sometimes misses the child support payments that the court has ordered him to pay. And um, uh, he comes to her one day and says, look, I am really sorry. I, I apologize. I, I know I have caused you and the kids a tremendous amount of pain. And I see the error of my ways, and I repent, and I ask you to forgive me. And, and I'm asking specifically that, that somehow you would let me out of these, these child support payments. They are killing me, and I, I can't seem to get the, the fresh start that I need to go on with my life. And, and if you've really forgiven me, I, I just ask you not to, to make me suffer for my mistake for the next 20 years. So what does forgiveness mean for this woman? What, what does it mean to forgive our debtors in this case. Or another example, a man, uh, church treasurer, is uh, caught embezzling funds out of the uh, weekly offering. And by the way, this is a fictitious illustration <laughs> for sermon purposes only <laughs> and, and uh, is not intended to reflect in any way on our fine uh, financial staff. Uh, but when confronted by the church leadership, this this man uh, admits his mistake. He goes before the entire congregation, confesses, apologizes, asks for their forgiveness, and makes restitution of all the funds that he had stolen. And then he wants his position as treasurer back. And some in the church are inclined to, to say yes, because they say, look, uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love hopes all things, believes all things. Uh, we should believe in him. We should hope that he'll do better. Uh, if we've really forgiven him, and we obviously can see that he's a changed man, uh, we shouldn't punish him for the next you know, rest of his life uh, just because he made this one mistake and now he's seen the error of his ways. And others are thinking, well, I don't know if that's a smart idea. We probably shouldn't tempt him in that way and, and so on. What does true forgiveness mean in that situation? Well, I'm convinced that even when we do forgive someone, there are legitimate excuse me, legitimate reasons for imposing consequences for their wrongdoing, at least in certain circumstances. One reason for imposing consequences would be that they inoculate us against further disobedience. Uh, Psalm 119, 67 and 71 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. It, this is the voice of a teachable man who has learned from the pain of what he has suffered not to disobey God's law again. Hebrews speaks of the pain of God's discipline, but the good that it produces in us. Hebrews 12, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It seems to me that all proper consequences of sin, including punishment, are aimed at the future character and, and behavior of the offender. It's God's behavior modification program. And we know it's true that behavior that is positively rewarded will tend to be repeated. Behavior that is negatively reinforced will tend to be extinguished. A second reason for imposing consequences is that they serve as a deterrent to others, not just ourselves, but, but to others as well. There's this uh, great story in, in Acts 5 about the early church, Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? They sold a piece of property, brought the money to the apostles to uh, have it used for the ministry of the church, but they had conspired beforehand to make it sound like they were bringing everything they got for the property when in fact they were holding some back, so they wanted to look better than they really were. Um, Ananias came in first and uh, presents the money to Peter and wham, Holy Spirit strikes him dead right there. <laughs> All right, we have your attention now. Uh, three hours later, Sapphira comes in. She goes to make the same kind of statement. Wham, Holy Spirit knocks her dead. And then Acts 5.11 says, and I'm doubting this is an exaggeration, great fear sees the whole church. And all who heard about these events. <laughs> yeah, these two were the only ones who were guilty of that sin. But I bet it was a long time before anybody in that church tried to put one over on God. Yeah? Paul instructed Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.20, those who sin are to rebu be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. Notice, the rebuke is not private, not just for the sake of the offender, but publicly for the sake of the whole church, so that everyone can see that sin has negative consequences and not want to do that. I truly believe that one of the major reasons for the spiritual flabbiness of the American church, including our church, is that we're unwilling, generally, to exercise this kind of spiritual discipline. People gossip and divorce and lie, and they're unashamedly materialistic and hedonistic, and we don't do a thing about it. There are no consequences to our sin, and that is not good for us as a church. So even when we forgive someone on a personal level, it seems to me there is a place for consequences, for imposed perhaps by the larger body or by the society or whatever. And thinking still more widely, another reason for consequences is that they help to maintain order in the, in the larger society. I read a story about uh, golfer Chichi Rodriguez, who uh, tended to drive very fast. And uh, he's driving through town one day with a friend in his car, and he came to a light that was turning red, and it did, in fact, turn red before he got to the intersection, but he drove right through it. And the guy with him said, whoa, holy cow, Chichi, man, what, what are you doing? That was a red light. And he said, well, yeah, he said, I, I, I learned to drive from my brother, and, and my brother never stops at red lights, so I don't either. Oh. So a little bit later, they come to another red light, and he goes roaring right through this, narrowly missing an oncoming car. And, and his, his passenger says, whoa, dude, you're going to get us killed, man, driving through red lights like this. And again, Chi-Chi just explained, you know, my brother, and you know, I follow his example and that kind of thing. A little bit later, they come to a light that's green. Slams on the brakes, stops, looks both ways. Now what are you doing? It's green. My brother might be coming. And that kind of illustrates the chaos that would result if there were no consequences for driving through red lights. If everybody could do as they wanted without any consequences at all, society simply couldn't function. So 
we have to impose uh, we have to impose penalties on people sometimes. We know from raising our children that if there are no consequences to their actions, they will run amok. If you just let your two-year-old do whatever he wants, uh, you'll learn to regret that when uh, he soon terrorizes the entire household and inflicts permanent damage on his younger brother. God's wisdom says punish him. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Last week we heard uh, the comment from Victor Holm, the father of the woman who was... Uh, beaten and raped and murdered up in Fort Collins a few years ago. The murderer, Tibbis Kniep, received life imprisonment plus 48 years so that he would never be eligible for parole. Father said he could never forgive Kniep. But even if he could, even if he could forgive that man, should the murderer go free? No, I don't think so. We need consequences for the good of society. People are still accountable for their actions and, and justice should be done even if personal forgiveness is granted. There seems to be some controversy over whether punishment for criminals, especially imprisonment and capital punishment, whether these things are, uh, are in fact deterrents to others. And many say no, and some say yes. And I'd say it's not nearly as effective as a deterrent as it could be uh, because of two things. One is because of the uncertainty of the consequences. Depending on how good your lawyer is, you may or may not have to pay any consequences for your actions. And secondly, the inordinately long time between the offense and the time the punishment is finally handed down. The penalty is exacted. See? Uh, Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, uh, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. They don't see the connection. When it takes two and a half, three years to bring a murderer like Tibbis Kniep to justice, it's not going to be a deterrent to anybody else. So there need to be consequences, even in the face of forgiveness. But who imposes the consequences? Here's the rub. Because in the hardness of our hearts, we want to be the ones to punish those who hurt us. We want to be judge, jury, and executioner. And there's an important distinction between justice on the one hand and vengeance on the other. Justice is the payment that God or society might demand from someone for their wrongdoing. Vengeance is the pain I want to inflict on the person who hurt me. Okay? The Bible gives us at least these three principles regarding justice and vengeance. Number one, we are to seek justice for others who have been wronged. And I think evangelicals have largely hidden their heads in the sand on social justice issues. We've let the liberals carry the ball on this. And that's a great mistake because God is a God of justice and he commands us to seek justice, especially for the oppressed. Isaiah 1.17, learn to do right. And here's what he has in mind. Seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Or the famous verse in Micah 6.8, He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. We should seek justice for others. But what about seeking justice for ourselves? Um, this is a little trickier. I think that the divorced woman with three kids and the deadbeat dad who's not paying his child support payments... Uh, should go to court and ask the court to demand that he keep his commitments, his obligations to his children. The woman who's being divorced by her husband should retain an attorney to make sure that the financial settlement will be just and fair because it often is lopsided in favor of the man. 
The employee who is unfairly terminated has a right to seek legal help to redress that, that grievance. Jesus used the example of the woman who came to the unjust judge. Remember, he's making a point about prayer, actually. But he uses this woman as an example uh, who comes to, uh, to the judge, and she keeps pleading her case over and over again until he finally grants her justice. And he uses this woman going to the courts to seek justice as a positive example for what we should do. But I think we need to be real careful, because even though we're using the legal system to obtain justice, our hearts are so corrupt that it is, is very easy for them to slide into wanting more than justice, but to want revenge as well, or instead. Uh, we, we might want more than half the family resources. We have been defrauded by someone, and we go after them not just for compensation for our loss, but punitive damages as well. The, the legal system in our country is not very good at producing what is just. You, you're probably aware of that, right? We call it the justice system, but it's not. It's a legal system. It's very good at producing what is legal. But what is legal may be extremely unjust and vengeful, depending on who has the better lawyer. So the answer here is a qualified yes. Yes, we may seek justice for ourselves through the courts or whatever, but we have to guard our hearts against wanting vengeance instead of justice. And even when we do seek justice, we are commanded to forgive the person who's offended us. We have to forgive them anyway, whether we get justice or not. And it's very hard to forgive from our hearts and seek justice through the courts simultaneously. I think it can be done, but it is a tricky emotional, spiritual business. So we should seek justice for others. We may seek justice for ourselves, but we may not seek vengeance for ourselves on those who have sinned against us. Romans 12:19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Forgiveness cancels the debt they owe us. We let it go. We suffer the loss in order to forgive them. We decide not to punish them. And we can do that in the confidence that God will do a much better job avenging us than we would. We'll leave it to him. Well, this might be the place to ask if there's anyone who has wronged you whom you may not have yet forgiven. On the back of your sermon outline, there's a little questionnaire. I'd like you to turn to that, please. And, uh, and I'd really like you to, to interact with this and, and mark it up uh, because you'll get the most benefit out of it if you don't just look at it passively. The question is, have you ever been deeply hurt? Uh, put a check next to any of the following hurts you've experienced which continue to affect you. Have you been lied to? Have had people make promises to you that they've broken? Have you been neglected by your grown children? Have you experienced a violent crime against yourself or a loved one? Have you been treated unfairly by an employer? Did your parents divorce? Have you been slandered or falsely accused? Have you been, been divorced by your mate? Did your mate commit adultery or other sexual sin? Have you been rejected by your parents? Have you been stolen from? Have you been cheated in a business or financial deal? Have you had a rebellious or wayward son or daughter? Have you been belittled by someone? Did you have an alcoholic parent or mate? Were you abandoned by your parent or mate? Have you been publicly humiliated? Have you been abused in any way? And if that doesn't touch on it, is there some other way that you've been sinned against? Hmm? 
And then as you reflect on the ways you've been offended, and I would guess that many of us have had more than one of those things, do you find any of these statements to be true to any extent? Every time I think of that person or that offense, I still feel angry. I feel hard, I feel resentful, I feel bitter, whatever word would fit there. I have a subtle, secret desire to see that person pay for what they did to me. Here's that spirit of revenge, you see. Uh, or deep in my heart, I wouldn't mind if something bad happened to them. It's the same spirit, it's just one step removed. I don't want to, I know, I know it's not Christian for me to inflict the pain, so I'll let somebody else do it. I hope, so, you know, hope they fall in a hole or God hurts them or something. I sometimes find myself telling others how that person hurt me. If this individual's name comes up, I'm more likely to say something negative about them than something positive. I cannot thank God for that individual. See, these statements, if any of those are true of you, are an indication that we've not fully forgiven people who have sinned against us. So at the bottom, there's a place to check if, if you would have to say that as God examines your heart, uh, he would find some unforgiveness there. If you, would, if you would agree with that, check that box. And if you find there is unforgiveness in your heart, you may have a spirit of revenge. You need to hear God say to you, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, leave them to me. Well, another question from our survey last week had to do with forgetting. When I was at another church, I took a stand of conscience that ultimately split the church. It was a very difficult, painful decision, and I put it off as long as I could. But I eventually came to the place where I felt like my integrity before God required me to make this particular stand, and I, I really didn't feel like I had a choice. When uh, one of my good friends and an elder of the church uh, learned of my decision, he came to my office extremely angry. Uh, he, he yelled at me in his frustration, and I tried to explain my position to him. I don't think I was able to help him understand it very well. Uh, and just before he left, he, he kind of shook his finger in my face and said darkly, I may forgive, but I will never forget this. You forgive and forget. Somehow we think they go together. So the question on the survey said, if you've really forgiven someone, you should be able to forget what they've done to you. If you've really forgiven someone, you should be able to forget what they've done to you. How many of you basically agree with that? And how many basically disagree? Okay. <clears throat> many times people will say, God forgets our sins, we should forget others. And they point to verses like Jeremiah 31, 34. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Isaiah 43, 25 says the very same thing, same phrase. But there are some other considerations from Scripture. One is 2 Corinthians 5.10, where it says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what... May, sorry, King James and New, New, New International don't go together. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So if God's going to repay us for the things that we've done, whether good or bad, how can he do that if he can't remember the things, the bad things that we've done? Or the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. I saw a great white throne, him who was seated on it. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. 
and we often rejoice that we don't have to experience the consequences of our sin in heaven. And in one sense, that is true, from the standpoint that we don't get banished from his presence forever. But in another sense, everything we have done is recorded, and, they, and we will be held accountable for it, the good and the bad. God does not forget. He is omniscient. The verses that speak of God forgetting our sins are, are ways of trying to express the completeness of God's forgiveness. His forgiveness of us is as thorough as ours would be if we had really forgotten the offense. So God doesn't have to forget in order to forgive, and neither do we. Forgetting is a function of the brain. Forgiveness is a function of the will. We can choose to forgive even when we can't forget. Timothy McVeigh has been in the news a lot lately. And uh, I guess tomorrow is the date now set for his execution. Many of the survivors and families of those who were killed in the Oklahoma City bombing uh, have been looking forward to this day. They have been in uh, seeking justice and some emotional closure to the hell that has been their lives for the past four years. But no one pretends that if McVeigh is executed tomorrow, that will put away all the memories they have of what he did. There are some things that cannot, will not, and some things that should not be forgotten. Forgiveness, it seems to me, might be the result Sorry, forgetting might be the result of forgiveness. But forgetting is not the means to forgiving, and forgetting is not the test of forgiving. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Sometimes when, when uh, people sin against us, we forget it. it. It's just gone. I've had people come to me and apologize for things they've dead, done or said, and I didn't remember it even when they related the incident. Hallelujah when that can happen. Right? But that's not always the case. Forgetting is not the means to forgiveness. We don't set about forgiving someone by trying to forget what they did to us. In fact, the harder you try to forget something, the more it will just push it down into your memory. It's, it's like a man concentrating real hard trying to fall asleep. It's not going to happen. The harder he thinks about it, the more awake he'll become. Trying to forget something isn't going to work. But moreover, and, and here's, the, here's the key point, forgetting is not the test of forgiveness. If I still remember an offense, it doesn't necessarily mean that I haven't forgiven it. The question is not whether I remember it, but what that memory does to me. Uh, does it make my blood pressure go up? <laughs> does it make my heart rate go up? Uh, do it, does it make me feel kind of hard inside? Uh, do I want to hurt that person? Do I act differently when I'm around them? Those are the indications that I've not forgiven uh, rather than just the fact that I remember. But having said that, the, the memory of the sin could be an indication that we've not forgiven. Uh, I remember uh, one incident uh, years ago, an individual had hurt me pretty deeply, and, and uh, somehow every time when I, I, I used to go home up here to the light at 29th and take a right, and every time I turned that corner, this person it would flash in my mind. And I could tell from my reaction to it that <laughs> that was a little signal, <laughs> blinking red light, Jim, <laughs> you're not there yet. And I would have to deal with that again almost every day. Well, if you're having trouble forgetting an offense, use that as an opportunity to examine your heart. Use the back of this outline to, to go through it again and, and ask yourself those questions and, and give God a chance to examine your heart and show you your own heart to see if maybe the inability to forget indicates a, uh, 
an unforgiving spirit. You know, we've all been hurt. And uh, most of us have been hurt many times, sometimes very, very deeply. I think it's inevitable living in a, a fallen, sinful world with other folks just as sinful as we are. But what have we done with those hurts? Have you let them go, or are you still holding on to them? Are you still trying to squeeze that, you know, really hoping for a little revenge? Yeah, I'd like to see some consequences in that person's life, that kind of a spirit, you know. Maybe it's just settled down to a dull ache in your soul. Look, we, we don't have to forget, and we don't have to release people from the consequences of their actions, but we do have to let it go. Let God deal with them. Let him avenge that wrong rather than trying to take it into your own hands. Uh, holding that grudge against that person is not the right punishment for them. Let God deal with them. I, I'm asking you, for your own sake, for their sakes, for the sake of the reputation of Jesus Christ in our community, let it go. Begin to forgive today.